Well, welcome to Confessing the Faith, a podcast devoted to discussions concerning Christian doctrine and the Christian life. My name is Joe Anity. I serve as pastor at Emmaus Christian Fellowship Church in Hemet, California, and I'm joined today by Dr. Jim Renahan. Jim, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me today. I'm glad to be with you, Joe. It's good to talk to you. Dr. Renahan is one of two pastors serving at Christ Reformed Baptist Church in Vista, California, and he's also the dean of the Institute of Reformed Baptist Studies at Westminster Seminary, California. Um, now, I think it's important that I set the stage a little bit for the conversation we're going to have today. Um, I had the privilege of attending the ARBCA GA a few weeks back. Uh, ARBCA stands for the Association of Reformed Baptist Churches of America. And GA stands uh, not for Georgia in this instance, uh, though that is where the GA was in 2017, but for uh, General Assembly. Uh, Once a year, the churches that are a part of ARBCA send delegates to the General Assembly, and a lot happens in three days' time. It's a very busy uh, time. Uh, The delegates enjoy fellowship with one another. Uh, There is preaching and singing, missionaries, church planters, and chaplains. They give reports. Uh, New churches apply and are formally received into the association at the General Assembly, and matters that are important to the association are also discussed, I would even say sometimes debated. Um, Really important things happen there at the General Assembly, and special projects are also presented for the association uh, to consider. And at this past GA, the association uh, discussed and eventually voted uh, 64 to 4. Is that the right number, Doc? Uh, it, That's correct. It, yeah, in favor of starting a standalone seminary that is backed by the association. Now, from my perspective, it seemed like a very monumental moment. I'm sure it did to you as well, Doc. Um, sure did. It, it was a big deal. And uh, so that's the thing that we're going to discuss today. The uh, the association, uh, their decision to start a, sta- a standalone seminary and all that that entails. Um, Doc, I, I, I wonder if you could bring uh, the listener up to speed, uh, describing to them how things have progressed to where they are, uh, to you know, in the, at this present time. Uh, how did we get here? And I know that's a huge question, but I think I'll just hand it over to you and let you uh, uh, go with it where you wish. Okay. Well, in 1997, 20 years ago. Um, 24 churches formed the Association of Reformed Baptist Churches of America. And uh, there were four specific goals that the churches had in mind. Um, We were already doing foreign missions. That was one. Church planting was another. Uh, Publications was a third. And then the fourth was ministerial training, though in some ways that was just a dream because that was the most difficult thing. And – Many of us were very surprised, pleasantly surprised, at the first General Assembly to learn that um, Dr. Godfrey, the president of Westminster Seminary here in California, was offering to us the possibility of working with us if we could find a way to put together a proposal that would be acceptable to the, the faculty and the trustees of the seminary. We did that. Uh, and that became the Institute of Reformed Baptist Studies. Um, that was uh, – th- we, we agreed that we would begin that uh, in- the institute in 1998, and I was chosen to be the founding professor, moved here from church planting in Massachusetts 
uh, in 98, and we began to hold classes. We are just coming up to our 19th graduation. Um, it's been a great relationship with the seminary. Um, really thankful for the kindness, uh, the, the brotherly love that has been shown to us by the faculty and the trustees here. And uh, uh, this, this really great relationship has taught us a lot about what a seminary is, how a seminary needs to function, all of the things that need to be emphasized. And after, um, after all of these years, various circumstances came together to cause us to think that perhaps the Lord was leading us uh, to move forward, not because we're discontent with Westminster, but rather because the opportunity presents itself to have a school that is completely dedicated to uh, the Word of God and our confession of faith. And so we've been working for, uh, well, since 2014, working towards the decision that was made in April to uh, to form this, this seminary. Um, it's been a long process, um, but we're really encouraged by it. Uh, the, the folks here at Westminster don't want us to go. Uh, they've expressed that to us many times. They're very happy with the relationship, but they've also very kindly stated, we understand your reasons, we support you, we want to continue in every way that we can, the, the very good relationship that we have. So I've, I've been really encouraged by uh, doc, both Dr. Godfrey, who's the retiring president, and Professor Joel Kim, who's the president-elect, um, and by the members of the faculty who have assured us of their love, their support, their appreciation. Everything seems to be coming together for good. You know, a question that people might have is uh, why why leave that situation behind? Why why move away from Westminster, which is a really fine in institution? I mean, there, there are some very well known professors there. The students who graduate from IRBS with a certificate from IRBS uh, also graduate uh, with uh, a Master's of Divinity from Westminster. And I'm so uh, so I'm sure that some wonder why why leave that behind and also. Um, I know that I've enjoyed pointing to the relationship between IRBS and Westminster Seminary as an example of how um, people from differing viewpoints can work together uh, for the mm -hmm. furtherance of the cause of Christ. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Westminster Seminary is a Presbyterian and Pado baptist institution, and IRBS is obviously a Baptist uh, institution. Um, and I think it's a wonderful example of how two groups with differing um, opinions on some important matters can still work together for the cause of Christ. And so, you know, I wonder if you could speak to that, um, Jim, about uh, why yeah. there's a need for uh, moving on from this at, at this time. Yeah, um, that, that's a really good question. And, you know, last week I was talking to Professor Kim, uh, congratulating him on being chosen as the president-elect. And we, we were saying how wonderful it is that God has given us these 19 years. And it's a real demonstration, as you said, of how men who have very strong convictions and some serious disagreements can find a way to work together and really develop a relationship of brotherly love. And that, that's why we want to continue in whatever way that we can this relationship. But one of the things that we have found over the years is that the, the San Diego location has been a drawback in many ways um, for students. Um, uh, 
we we did a survey. I think it was last year. It might have been the end of the year before, um, asking students uh, why they chose not to come to Southern California, and uh, the, the the reasons are are largely two. One of them is the expense of living in a place like this. And so rather than coming to California, they've chosen to go to other schools. Um, Likewise, distance. Um, For some people, the fact that we are down in the far southwestern corner of the U.S. makes it very difficult um, to move their family and to come with us. For for some, it's not a problem, but for others, it, it has been. And we, we know that we will be able to reach a much larger um, uh, student body by moving forward and moving ahead. Now, there, there are other reasons as well, but uh, it, it really makes sense to do that, um, to find a way to expand our opportunity to reach out to men. Another reason that, that comes to mind is that there, there is a growing interest in the doctrines that Reformed Baptists are known for. Um, people are they, – they, they come to understand the doctrines of grace, and then they discover our confession of faith, and they say, I, I didn't even know that this existed. And then they learn about us, and, and so there are opportunities for church planting. There are opportunities for foreign missions. Um, there are opportunities to go into established churches, and we see the need, and we believe that by increasing the number of men that we're able to uh, to train, uh, we will increase the 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 um, or you know have have a greater availability of graduates and students to go out to those kinds of places as the years pass. Um, we we just we see gospel opportunity and and the opportunities for the kingdom to expand by taking a move like this. Is it difficult to leave a really good situation with some really fine teachers? Yes, of course it is. But at the same time, um, the Lord is bringing together a a, a really highly competent faculty. Um, It it has astounded me how many people want to get on board and are interested in participating with us, very excited about this possibility. Uh, We've seen... uh, Quite a few students be interested. We we have, um, I think, as of this morning, there are 14 men who have agreed to serve in one capacity or another as faculty members for us, and they're men with all of the right credentials. Some some of them world famous men um, who are willing to come and work with us. So you know, the it's it's really the opportunity that's in front of us, and and the the ability to fill the needs that are created by that opportunity that uh, is a major part of our decision-making process. You mentioned location. Now, uh, the plan is to uh, begin work in Texas. Where about in Texas will the seminary be? Yeah, we'll, we'll be in the Fort Worth area. Uh, at first, we will, uh, we've been invited to use the facilities of Heritage Baptist Church in Mansfield, Texas, uh, which is a very nice facility, and they have a uh, a wing that they will allow us access to. We'll be able to have offices there. We'll be able to have classrooms there. Um, we've also been offered, a generous donor has uh, offered to us um, some land uh, about seven miles from where the church is located. And uh, we 
you know, have the possibility in the long term, perhaps of having a, a campus there in a really beautiful location. Um, so that's that's where it is in the uh, just on the uh, east side of Fort Worth. Hmm. I could see why the location would be more um, uh, conducive uh, to have people from all over the country come and and. Uh, uh, and join in the in the effort, and also to um, you know go to school there. I understand that rationale. Also, I understand uh, the desire to have a school that is very much devoted to uh, Reformed uh, Baptist doctrine. I uh, earned my degree from an institution that is uh, not Reformed, and I do praise God for the time that I had there. I I, I really do thank God mm-hmm. for for all that I learned, and I gleaned much from. Um, my time in that program, but it also meant that I had to work extra hard uh, to mm-hmm. figure out um, the, the reform doctrine that I had come to in, in that process. And uh, I think the same is probably true for those men who earn their MDiv from Westminster Theological Seminary. Though it's a very fine institution, if they come to Baptist convictions or if they come with them from the beginning, they have to kind of go the extra mile to sort out uh, some of the differences of opinion that exist and. Uh, uh, so I could see the value of having an institution that is um, uh, very consistent in presenting uh, Baptist, Reformed Baptist doctrine. Uh, you mentioned 14 men being interested in the program. Some might hear that and say, well, that's such a small number. What do you say to that? Of, of faculty members? Um, were you, no, the, were, you, the 14, was, were you speaking yeah, of faculty 14, or students? The, yes, faculty. Oh, faculty. faculty. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's actually more than they have on faculty here. Now, now we're not talking about full-time regular faculty members. We're talking about men. Um, we'll we'll have a core faculty, and then it'll be supplemented by visiting and adjunct professors. Mm, okay. um, but that that number of fourteen, which I expect will continue to grow, um, uh, is is really a substantial number of men who are willing to participate. That's wonderful. I misunderstood you. I thought you were referring to interested yeah. students. Uh, how many students uh, are interested, do you think, in participating uh, once the seminary gets off the ground? Well, I would. I I haven't calculated lately. I would say um, we've had approximately sixty inquiries at this point, and we haven't even begun doing any kind of student recruitment. Um, I think that first year, our projection right now is 10 to 12 students in the first year, but I also think that that will increase as people hear about um, the school and as they see the names of the men uh, that we uh, we hope to release within about two weeks. Um, we're in, in the process of nominating the faculty and the board of trustees will look over all of their resumes and and qualifications, and then when they give approval, then we'll be able to release the names. and And I think people will look at that and say, "That's a that's a substantial group of men. They they've got some really fine men who'll be participating." Um, now that if we if if we only had twelve students coming in, that would be double the largest incoming class we've ever had here at IRBS in California. So we're projecting immediately a hundred percent increase in the in the student body, and I, I really do believe that it will uh, it will grow beyond that. You mentioned learning a lot from Westminster Seminary, California, during your time there. Uh, tell us a bit about their past and how they began, 
and what kind of student enrollment they started with. I mean, are, are you are you looking at something similar with the beginnings of um, the, the new seminary? Yeah, we've we've actually been following largely the the plan that they used when they began thirty five years ago. Um, and in some ways we, we were doing that unconsciously. We didn't realize that we were following it, but when we learned how they had begun, uh, we realized that, that the pattern was the same. Um, they began 35 years ago, uh, with three resident professors and a group of adjunct faculty. Um, they actually had 25 in their first, uh, incoming class. Their first graduation service had one graduate. The second time that they graduated anybody, there were seven. And then in the third graduating class, they had 22. And over the course of 35 years, they've had 1,100 graduates. Hmm. Now, I've asked people to imagine what it would be like 35 years from now if we could turn out 1,100 graduates. And that that's not a, a pipe dream uh, uh, type of figure. It's not a fairy tale. That's realistic. In fact, the first year that I went to seminary was the first year that Westminster opened here. I, I could have been in the first class here. Now, I lived in Massachusetts, and California was the other side of the world, so I never even considered it. But I, I could have been there. So 35, 1,100 graduates in 35 years is basically my lifetime from when I first went to seminary until today. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's not a made up figure. It's not an overly optimistic figure. It's a realistic figure that with God's blessing we could see. And, and I, I imagine the impact that 1100 graduates would have in 35 years, um, on the cause of Christ for reformed Baptists here in the U S in North America and around the world. Yeah. So what's the plan for the next year? Well, um, we have hired a dean of students. Um, some of your folks will know him, Steve Martin. Mm. He's currently the uh, the coordinator for ARBCA, and uh, he's he's half time as a coordinator for ARBCA. He'll be half time as uh, dean of students for us until next year when he'll be full time. Steve has spent his whole life uh, mentoring men. He's in his sixties, very mature very well known. And when people hear his name, they say, of course, who else would you want for a position like that to begin at a seminary? Um, he he will start working for us Jan, uh, July 1st. And uh, he and I spoke on the phone this morning, just beginning to talk through some of the things that he will want to put together in preparation for next year when we have students. Um, we also have uh, a very skilled man who has worked in the seminary environment before elsewhere that uh, has been interviewed and we're hoping that we'll be able to hire him to do all of the, the legal work to begin the process of accreditation to help us with writing a catalog and and all of those things are involved. Um, we, we're, I'm hoping that within the next week or so uh, we'll be able to announce his hiring. Um, we're in the process right now, as I said, of building the faculty, and we have these 14 men um, who will work with us. Some, some of them I can name. Um, it will be no surprise to anyone that uh, Dr. Fred Malone uh, will be our professor of pastoral theology. Mm -hmm. And really what we've done is ask Fred 
to build the pastoral theology department and curriculum, uh, to think through what that means, how it should be put together, what the courses would be, how they ought to be structured. And he, he's another one of those senior men that people look at and they say, who better in the Reformed Baptist world to do that than Fred Malone? Mm, yeah. So, um, you know, we're, we're really happy that Fred will be on board. Um, Dr. Richard Barcelos will be one of our professors. Um, uh, he, the, the work that he's doing right now on hermeneutics and intertestamental relationships is really fantastic. Yeah. Um, I was listening to a podcast that he was on uh, a month or two ago, and, and I was just amazed at uh, off the top of his head, some of the connections that he was making, which when you hear them, you say, well, that makes total sense. Yeah, I see how this author picks up on something that went before and uh, draws it into his argument. So Dr. Barcelos will be teaching. I'll be teaching. Um, there are, And there are other men, um, you know, hopefully in a week or two, we'll be able to um, be more public with their names Um and uh, I think people will be really encouraged by that. Uh, so we're we're sit, you know it's we're, what are we even today? I think we're only three or four weeks after the three weeks after the general assembly vote. Mm-hmm. Um, where we're, uh, I, I said to someone immediately after the vote, I said, "Now the real work begins." Mm-hmm. I mean, we had put three years into preparing for that vote, and now we have a year, maybe sixteen, eighteen months to prepare for the day when we open up classes. There is an immense amount of work to do, but it's been very encouraging. That is encouraging. Uh, so plans are to begin in the fall of 2018, correct? Yes, uh, probably um, uh, no no commitments made yet, but probably the last week of August uh, is when the semester will begin. And I, I do expect that there'll be a summer Greek or perhaps a summer Hebrew, one or the other, that will be held uh, from the, the end of July through through August to prepare the, the first-year students. We'll, we'll begin with just the first-year class. Um, it I think it would be very difficult for us to offer all three years of a program from the start um, just because the, 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 the enormity of – Scheduling and offering all of those classes, arranging for professors, knowing, pardon me, that some of them, we wouldn't even have class uh, students to take the class. It, it doesn't seem to make sense. Yeah. So first year will just be the, the, the first year class. In the second year, then we'll have two classes going. And God willing, in the third year, then we'll have the full program going and on and on into the future. Hmm. What would you say the biggest challenges are facing this, this project? Um, to be quite honest, financial. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it, you know, one of our commitments is to pay the people who work for us a living wage. Um, well, two, we want to pay them a living wage and we want to reduce the cost for students. Um, in 2016, the average college graduate in the United States had $37,172 in student loan debt when he or she graduated. That means the typical student who comes to us will have that amount of debt. Some will have a lot more. Some will have less or perhaps none. But the average person who comes to us, and if we have 12 students, that means 
um, some of them will come with that level of debt. And we, we don't want to create a program that will increase their debt. We want to help them when they graduate to be able to go out and plant churches. Now, we, we can't do anything about college debt, uh, except when I meet a young man, I try to tell him, do everything that you can to stay out of debt. Don't get into the student loan business. But we can't, we can't do anything about that. But we can try to do something to help students um, not incur student loan debt. So we, we announced at the GA, though we, this is not a firm and absolute commitment, but we announced that we're trying to come in at $150 per hour hmm. per credit hour charge. That's less than virtually everybody else. Um, when you look at the the top tier schools, the Westminster's, RTS, um, Southern Seminary for non-Southern Baptist students, uh, Gordon-Conwell, Trinity Evangelical Divinity, they're all above $400 per credit hour. Hmm. And some of the smaller schools or even the Southern Baptist schools, when you get the Southern Baptist discount, are still in the mid two fifty or two hundred dollar range, two twenty five up to two fifty or two sixty or so, and we're we're trying to come in at one hundred and fifty dollars credit hour. Now, if we're to pay living wages to our staff, that means that we have to get the income from somewhere, and so we are in the process of appealing to donors to help us. And what we'd like to do is build a donor base where the average family can participate by maybe giving $500 a year or $1,000 a year. If we had 250 families around the country giving us $1,000 a year, that's a quarter of a million dollars right there. Yeah. You know, you give your 1000 and you think, well, what is this going to do? But if you're one of 250, you've just given us a quarter of a million dollars. And if we had 500 families that gave us $500 uh, a year, that's uh, another quarter of a million dollars. That's that's half a million dollars right there from families who catch the, the vision of needing to train men, helping us with half of our budget. Um, so, you know, we're, we're working to build a donor base to help people understand the importance of this. One of the questions that I ask when I go to churches and speak to uh, them is this question, who will be the pastor for your grandchildren? And uh, people come up to me afterwards and they say, you know, I've never thought of that before, but it makes total sense for me to think about it before. Um, churches are rightfully concerned with geographic expansion, that is church planting and missions. That's We ought to be, we must be. But at the same time, I'm not sure where we think about generational expansion and the fact that we need to provide now for the next generation. Look, I'm in, I'm in my early 60s. Uh, my retirement is coming up on me quickly. Uh, God willing, I, I can work into my 70s if, if he gives me the health to do so, and that's what my desire is. But even 75 is not very far away from me at this point. Um, we, we need young men. We, we need to train young men. We need to prepare them. And I, I remind parents and grandparents, they save up money to buy a car for their kids. They uh, give them some money to help them go to college. They'll you know help establish them somehow in life with their money. All good things. But those are things that will pass away with the world. What are they doing 
to prepare for to benefit the souls of their children and grandchildren in the long run. And the way that they can do that is by ensuring that men are trained who can come and stand in the pulpit when their pastor has to retire. Yeah, I think it's important for us to to consider those things. I know um you know my son, um, the oldest of my two sons, he's 11 now. But he's beginning to talk about maybe going into ministry someday and who knows. I mean, the mm-hmm. the, the Lord only knows if that will ever come to pass. Uh, he's got a, a little ways ahead of him here uh, before making those decisions, but the thought occurred to me it could be that he is you know attending this seminary. Uh, in the future, mm. and that's very encouraging uh, to think about. Um, yeah. It's very important that that men be trained up for ministry. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a tradition mm-hmm. where that was kind of minimized a little bit, at least with some of the acquaintances that I had. Oh, you don't need an education; you just need your Bible, you know. And mm. you know, it, it's commanded to us in Scripture that we train men, and we are the beneficiaries of trained men in the Bible. You have the schools of the prophets in the Old Testament. And, you know, it's interesting. It was actually reading the the Westminster Standards where they point to the schools of the prophets as the reason why we ought to um, train men for the ministry. And then they point to the school of Gamaliel, which was where Paul was trained. Uh, I wonder, seldom probably do we ask ourselves the question, how did Paul know all of the stuff that he knew? How did he give us these brilliant, insightful analyses of the Old Testament that we have in all of his epistles? And the reason is that the Lord prepared him for the work that he was to do by allowing him or sending him to the school of Gamaliel, where his mind was filled with the Old Testament. When he came to faith in Christ, the Old Testament made sense. His mind was already thinking about it, but now it was brought together And he knew that the center of the Old Testament was not the nation of Israel, but rather it was the Lord Jesus, that it pointed to him. And so the the Lord used that as preparation in Paul's life so that we could have the benefit of his writings even today, nearly 2,000 years later. Hmm. Amen. And how can people get involved, Doc? I mean, uh, you've already alluded to the financial needs. Um, certainly, people yep. need to consider giving uh, to this project. If uh, if they desire to do so, how would they go about giving? You know, the easiest way. Well, there's two ways. If they'd like to give directly to us, they can go to our website, irbsseminary.org, and there are two s's in the middle. Irbs. S-E-M-I-N-A-R-Y dot org. And there's a donate page there. It's secure, and uh, we will receive that money directly through the secure donation page. And that can be set up to do a monthly contribution, um, twice a year, annually, one time, however one of pe- people would like to do that. So that's probably the simplest and the easiest way to do that. If for some reason somebody is um, uncomfortable with uh, donating through a secure page like that, they can send a check to us, make it out to the Institute of Reformed Baptist Studies and put seminary project on the uh, the notation line on the check and they can mail it to um, uh, IRBS PO Box 300771. Escondido, California, uh, and the zip code is 92030, 
dash zero seven seven one. Another thing that they can do is um, it's really a great program. A lot of people don't even know about it. Amazon.com has a foundation that's called uh, Amazon Smile. And they give uh, a half a percent of all of their profits to that foundation. And then the foundation distributes them to various uh, nonprofit organizations. Um, when you buy on Amazon, your money is going to that foundation, whether you know it or not. If, But we have registered the Institute of Reformed Baptist Studies with Amazon. And uh, if people make their purchases through our Amazon.com page, we will be the recipients of that donation. People need to remember they're already giving, even though they don't know it. They're already giving to that uh, Amazon Smile Foundation. And if they don't designate a particular institution, who knows where it goes? So what they would need to do is go to smile.amazon.com and then uh, designate the Institute of Reformed Baptist Studies for their purchases. And then from that time on, when they purchase anything from Amazon, make sure that they go to the IRBS smile.amazon.com page. Um, I've got it set up on my browser with a little button. It says Amazon Smile. When I click on the button, it takes me directly to the IRBS page and everything that I buy. Yesterday, I bought some things from Amazon. Everything that I buy, then um, that half a percentage point goes into the IRBS account. And on a quarterly basis, we receive those donations from, from Amazon. So it's very simple. It would take five minutes to set it up. And if many, many, many people would do that, um, we could have thousands of dollars coming to us. And and it doesn't cost anybody anything. They're already paying that money to Amazon. Yeah. Um, we, uh, uh, if, if people have specific skills that they would like to donate to us, um, we would we would be very glad to receive um, pro bono um, offers. We, we've had lots of people. Uh, I, I had a, a man who um, does um, uh, heavy duty um, building. Uh, he has a he has a business that uh, does earth moving. And he said, if you ever build a campus, let me know. I'd like to help out in terms of moving the dirt around for you. Uh, you know, who knows what abilities people have that uh, they might be able to offer to us. And uh, we would be very glad to receive those things. Uh, if you have retiring pastors who are listening to this and they'd like to donate their books, um, please uh, encourage them to do that. We, we are, you know, it's funny. Our goal had been to open with um, a library of 10,000 volumes, which is the minimum that you need for accreditation. And uh, the Lord has brought together so many donations of books to us. I think that right now we have about 15,000. So we've already exceeded what, what our goal was, but uh, we can always use more. It's always beneficial to students. And those things can be a charitable deduction. Um, if, if the donor makes a list and sets the price we, we can't set a price as the recipients, but the donor can say these books are worth this much. We can sign a piece of paper that says uh, Mr. Joe Schmo 
uh, donated these books. Thank you very much. And the date. And then he can use that as a tax deduction. Um, we are a 401c3 uh, IRS organization. So everything that's given to us is tax deductible. Um, those are some ways. I, I think also, and I would really ask people to do this, is to pray regularly for us. Um, we we need the prayers of God's people for God's blessing on this, but also for all of us who are involved in leadership, for our potential faculty, um, pray that the Lord would make us more and more holy people, that we would live for his glory and not for ourselves, that we would demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, that love, joy, peace, patience, all the rest would be first and foremost in our lives, and that we would glorify Christ in the way that we do this so that we we are living examples before the young men who come into our, our midst to study. And um, uh, we can show them by example how Christian men ought to carry themselves. So if, if people are listening and they can't give money, they can pray for us, and that's even more important than any kind of monetary gifts they might make. Well, amen. And uh, you've been a part of my my daily prayers uh, ever since the GA. I'm, I'm so excited about this project. Mm. Um, I think it's very important. I think it's very important that we train up uh, young men in Reformed Baptist theology. It's important that they under co- understand covenant theology. It's important that they're trained up in an environment where um, – Holiness is also emphasized. I've um, really enjoyed coming down to Escondido every chance I get to take uh, classes from you, Doc. I've audited a few now. I think I took one for credit. And those classes have been tremendously beneficial to me as a pastor. Um, I've appreciated how thorough you are, how in-depth you are, also just the the culture uh, that I see there in the classroom and the emphasis upon holy living and not just uh, sound doctrine uh, but the two things together, and the thought of that, um, you know, being expanded into an entire seminary um, is really a great thought. I think uh, the cause of Christ will really be advanced uh, through these endeavors, and I'm, I'm praying that the Lord bless all of your efforts tremendously. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. And thanks again for taking the time to come on and to share these things with us. My hope is that the people of Emmaus Christian Fellowship will listen and that they will respond to, um, you know, the, the the call for help that has been put out, and that uh, we, in some small way, as a as a local congregation, will be able to get behind you in in these endeavors. So, oh, thanks, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just a reminder to everyone to uh, go to irbsseminary.org when you have a chance, irbsseminary.org, and take a look around there. There's a lot of information on the site already. I'm sure more will will come in, in, uh, in the coming months. Um, but do go to that website, take a look around, and prayerfully consider how you can get involved. And do check back with us. We hope to begin to put out podcast regularly again. We've taken a break for some time now, but uh, have plans to make this a regular thing again. So uh, please do check back soon, and until next time, God bless. Mm -hmm.